Good morning. Uh, so today's reading is from James chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 12. And I'll just give you a few minutes just to find that in your Bibles or on your phones or whatever it is that you're using. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who moved your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Thanks, Orsha. Hi, everyone. Quite strong words there, so let's pray as we come to those. Father in heaven, there might be a word of challenge in here for us this morning. Maybe there's a word of encouragement. And we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help each of us to take away with us the message that you would want to lay on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, uh, I was walking to Morrison's in Letchworth the other day and uh, turned around and ooh, had a bit of a shock because uh, there was a huge policeman staring right at me. But as you know, if you've been there, it's just a cardboard cutout. And uh, <laughs> why do they do that? Well, it's to remind us, isn't it, that if just in case we're tempted, there are consequences for just slipping something into our pockets or bags without paying for it. It's a warning, isn't it? Now, I don't usually shop there. I usually shop in Tesco and Bulldog. And I remember one time, a busy Saturday just before Christmas, when uh, there were, I think there were two police cars parked right outside the front, and the policemen and women were scattered throughout the shop. And again, I'm guessing that they were there as a warning. Uh, I mean, recently someone was stabbed in Tesco, and I mean, they're there to enforce all elements of the law, aren't they? But particularly to stop people from stealing things from the shop. Because we like to believe it's our own goodness that stops us from doing things wrong. But if we're totally honest, a lot of the time we could easily do things wrong if we could get away with it. Just think speed camera if you're doubting me. The police and the courts act as a warning to all of us not to try something and think we can get away with it. On the other hand, the police and the courts keep us safe from other people who uh, are doing wrong. So you can feel pretty safe around town because if someone steals your phone or is violent towards you, you know there'll be consequences for that. They'll be punished. In that sense, the police and the courts are not a warning, 
They're a promise to the innocent that the guilty won't get away with it. And we know it's not perfect, of course, but when it works, um, it does punish those who do wrong and it does protect the innocent. In our reading today, we have a warning and a promise, all looking ahead to God's courtroom, which we normally call the judgment day. Our reading is from the New Testament letter of James, and the letter, you'll probably notice, is all about our actions and our words. And throughout the letter, but particularly as we reach the end of the letter and our reading this morning, James quite clearly has in mind the judgment day. That's, that's why it matters what you do. It's why it matters what you say, because there is, as Chris said last week, one day, a decisive moment when we stand before God. And we'll have to answer for how we've lived, what we've said, what we've done, and even what we've thought. Now, in today's reading, the warning goes out to a specific group of people. The translators of our Bible have called rich oppressors. So if you see the bold type at the beginning of the paragraph, you probably know that that those bold headings weren't in the original um, manuscripts, but they've been added by translators for convenience. Warning to rich oppressors. And the promise, on the other hand, is to those who are the victims of that. Now, we, not, we might not be in either of those situations. I hope we're not rich oppressors. I hope we're not being oppressed by rich oppressors. But there, there will be something we can learn from each of those things, I'm sure. So first of all, here's the warning. This is James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you might seem a bit harsh, but here are two things to keep in mind. Firstly, it says the misery that is coming on you. In other words, it's on its way, but it hasn't arrived yet. There is still an opportunity to escape, and I'll come back to that later. And secondly, these people are not just rich. Um, This isn't just a class struggle between the haves and the have-nots. As we uh, read on, we see four very clear things that these rich people have been doing that is bringing judgment on them. It's like they've been caught on God's CCTV doing four things, and that's what God has a problem with. As you know, the Bible has nothing against rich individuals, because Abraham was rich, and Job was rich, and Solomon was rich. They're all the good guys. The Bible encourages hard work. It encourages skill, ingenuity, good business, and it even has good things to say about inherited wealth. But here are four problems that can creep in as the bank balance goes up. First of all, covetousness. Bit of an old-fashioned word, but begins with a C, which is uh, important. It basically means greed, covetousness. Second one, corruption. Then carelessness, and then cruelty. Let me take you through each of those very briefly. Firstly, covetousness. This is the end of verse 3. It says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Not just had it, hoarded it. This is a warning to those who are greedy. Now, I find it difficult to draw the line between saving and hoarding. I don't know about you. We all have to save for things, maybe a holiday, a house, retirement. And some of those things are quite open-ended, aren't they? Because how much is a good amount to save for retirement? As much as you can. It's open-ended. So how do you know you're not hoarding? Well, I think you have to ask yourself the question, if God told me to give all of this away, could I do it? You probably know the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus 
and he asked, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at this guy and gave him some instructions and then saw that really his heart was set on his money because he had lots of it. And so Jesus said to him, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And what happened when the, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Is your money available to Jesus or not? A catchy saying I remember from my childhood. I think this was in a, a youth magazine. Um, great stuff. It says, make money, but don't make money your master. Use it for the master. So let's not be covetous. Secondly, corruption. This is the second thing they've been caught doing on God's CCTV. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. They've employed somebody and they haven't paid them. Now, I was chatting to someone in the congregation. You probably all know who, that, who this is. They told me this week that the big developer who built their property hasn't paid the small flooring contractor for something like 50 days. That developer needs to heed this warning. Someone's done some work for them, and they've been holding back money. Throughout history, Christians have been standing up against corruption. And one very recent example is the creation of the Fair Trade Foundation in 1992. Their website timeline says that in 1992, I quote, following persistent appeals for fairness in trade from Mexican small-scale coffee farmers, the Fair Trade Foundation is established by CAFOD, Christian Aid, Oxfam, Tradecraft, the World Development Movement, and the National Federation of Women's Institutes. Now, two of those are openly Christian charities, and several of the others have roots in church groups or in, in Christian individuals. And they have made a big difference to the ethical standards we expect from our supermarkets. Isn't that a good thing? God is against corruption and exploitation, and his people should be too. Individually, we all need to make sure that we're honest and transparent in our financial dealings. That could be as simple as paying our bills on time. It could be as complex as arranging our tax affairs so we're not using our wealth to hide our wealth. I know all about that because I come from Guernsey. <laughs> but seriously, we should be transparent and honest and open. So we've got covetous, we've got corruption. Carelessness is the third thing, verse 5. God warns these rich people, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And I feel in our culture we have this strange tension where we're, we are kind of living in luxury and self-indulgence, and yet we also know that that's frowned upon. It's sort of celebrated and frowned upon at the same time. I've lost count of how many times I've heard that song from 2010. I want to be a billionaire, so effing bad, buy all of the things I never had. Have you heard that? And in the same year, 2010, Disney released the Rapunzel film Tangled, where Flynn Rider describes his dream. My dream is basically to get rich and retire in comfort. And he's told, your dream sucks. So as a culture, if I'm being generous, I think we're basically a little bit torn between the temptation of wealth and knowing that it doesn't make us happy. If I was being less generous, I'd say we're very good at making excuses for living in luxury and self-indulgence. But maybe this, this verse can help us make up our mind, because let me read it again, and notice the subtle reference in there to judgment to come. Verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. 
This is before the International Space Station, so where else are people going to be living except on Earth? The implication is clearly you're here on Earth for a bit, and then your soul will leave this Earth to go and stand before God in judgment. And we know that life is more than money. When we meet God in judgment, we won't have it with us. So let's resist money's temptation. Carelessness. Now cruelty, the fourth thing. Verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Or maybe who could not oppose you. Maybe they were powerless. So clearly talking about people who abuse their wealth and power to bully others. And the clear message is, God sees, God knows, God will judge. Now, it's not that we can sit back and do nothing where we see that kind of thing happening, but we quickly reach the uh, limits of our power to, to change things, and God has no limits. So we might want to stand up against cruelty in the world. We might want to stand up against carelessness, corruption, covetousness, but uh, there might be limits to our power, but not to God's power. Listen again to the warning, verse 1. God says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That's strong, isn't it? It's like in the courtroom, God asks their bank account, how did you get so full? And the bank account says, well, because I used cheap child labor to get nice trainers, and I didn't pay my workers, and I murdered people um, I thought might get in the way. And the individual concerned stands there in court in terror as their own wealth testifies against them. And they realize what a mistake they've made. That's the warning. And God's message to anyone in that situation is the same as his message to everyone, which is repent. Stop living that way and come to God for forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness. None of us has lived a perfect life. And clearly, God's judgment day is going to be less tolerable for the individuals who have murdered the, the uh, helpless than it will be for those of us who might have just like, stolen something occasionally or um, lied occasionally, this kind of thing. But to have all of our thoughts and words and actions sort of put on the big screen in court and God's watching and we're watching and maybe everyone else is watching, that's not going to be a comfortable moment for any of us. And our only hope is God's mercy. Earlier in his letter, James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And it was in mercy that God came to earth in the person of Jesus, of course, and died on the cross so that our lives could be redeemed by his. George read Romans 8 verse 1 earlier. I didn't, um, he didn't know I was going to read this as well. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whatever you've done or said or thought, if you haven't already repented, do that today. Because then on judgment day, you'll be able to hold your head up high knowing that you'll receive mercy. God will not condemn you because Christ has died for you. That's the warning to rich oppressors. But almost by definition, that's quite a small group of people. So um, let's move on to the promise. And that's the second half of our reading. And it seems as though, for the most part, the people receiving James's letter, the original audience, were actually the victims 
of rich oppressors. Let me take you back to chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 3 to 7 says, if you, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated? You have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So most of James's audience are victims. And then Judgment Day serves as a promise that the guilty won't get away with it. Listen to how Jesus' return and Judgment Day are a source of comfort to victims of abuse and violence. This is verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So just like the farmer, they've done their bit, there may be nothing they can do now except wait. But during that time, they're to be patient, trusting that Jesus' return is not far away. So, in light of that promise, here are four instructions of how we're to live, and I'll rattle through them quite quickly. Four instructions. First of all, be patient. That's the first thing he says, and he says it three times. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The message is, your suffering has a time limit, and then the Lord, Lord's coming will bring justice. Now, most of us won't be victims of bullying by the rich, but Christians are increasingly likely to be attacked on social media or lose jobs or lose friends because of our faith. And we might be hurt, but we're not to fight back. We're to be patient. Patient. Jesus said, turn the other cheek, didn't he? And that brings me to the second thing. We're to be patient. We're to turn the other cheek. But does that mean just roll over and don't do anything about the wrong in the world? Well, no, because we're also, secondly, to stand firm. Be patient, but stand firm. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm. Turning the other cheek firstly means don't hit them back, but secondly, it means don't run away. It takes strength to be smacked on one side and then just turn the other cheek. Stand firm, or as some translations say, establish your hearts, set your hearts, and don't get distracted or grow tired or tempted away. It's the same word as when uh, Jesus, uh, during his lifetime, there was a moment where he steadfastly set his heart to go to Jerusalem. And he knew what was going to happen there. He knew he was going to be tortured and then killed. But he established his heart because he knew the good that would come out of it and he knew the glory that lay ahead of him. And as always, we should follow Jesus' example. James also gives us the examples of Job and the prophets. Let me read verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What I want us to take away from this is that the prophets and Job all suffered for different reasons. So, some of us will be like the prophets and experience um, direct attacks because we're Christians. We might lose our jobs. We might be harassed on social media. 
But some of us will experience suffering because we're like Job, who didn't experience those things. Job suffered because he got ill. Job suffered because he was the victim of a crime. And Job suffered because of natural disasters. So we might not be oppressed by the rich or oppressed by anyone. I hope we're not. But even in sickness and all the ups and downs of life, we are to be patient and stand firm. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Our suffering is seen by God, and it's for a purpose. God doesn't waste a single moment of our lives. Thirdly, don't grumble. Don't want to spend too long on this because it's too convicting to my own heart. <laughs> Under pressure, we begin to fray at the edges, don't we? And we grumble. It's human nature. Human nature is sinful. That's why we grumble. So verse 9 says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So, despite what I've said about Christians not facing condemnation, Christians won't escape judgment day. You will all, I will, I will also stand in front of God and be judged. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The difference between the Christian and uh, those who don't believe is that we can't lose our salvation. We will never finally be condemned on that judgment day, but we shouldn't think it doesn't matter how we live. With the Apostle Paul, we should all aim to finish our lives and be able to say to Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed his appearing. If we uh, haven't fought the good fight, I guess, you know, we'll still make it into heaven, we'll still be saved, but we might receive a bit of a slap on the wrist on judgment day. And um, I guess we, we're, all, we're all saved by grace, aren't we? And uh, we all deserve that slap on the wrist. But let's, uh, let's really live out what we believe. Fourthly, don't swear. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Again, he's talking to Christians, brothers or sisters, and he says, if you do anything else, you'll be condemned. You'll receive that slap on the wrist on judgment day, and it won't be very comfortable. Now, just to clarify, uh, that is swear as in saying, I swear to God this, or I swear to God that, rather than using swear words. Although, Colossians 3 verse 8 says, rid yourselves of, amongst other things, filthy language. So we're not to be swearing. But this is about saying, I swear to God, that kind of thing. And one of the few times I've heard someone say that was Peter Kay when, in one of his sketches. He said, I swear to God, I was in the supermarket and whatever. And it was a sketch, so I'm pretty sure he made it up. He's, using, he's swearing to uh, confirm the truth of what he's about to say, and it's fiction because it's a sketch, which illustrates quite well the problem with swearing. Uh, it's disrespectful to God. His name just becomes a bit casual and meaningless, and it brings into doubt our honesty. If you have to keep swearing, like saying, I swear to God this is true, what about everything else you say? Can that, is that not true? And that's why James says, above all, don't swear, because it gets right down to who you are and what you think about God. Now, I personally wouldn't have a problem with someone swearing an oath in court, 
because on that occasion, I feel the gravity of the situation isn't the same as using God's name flippantly. Um, but some Christians would also hesitate to swear an oath, an oath even in court. But let me try to bring the positive out of this instruction by saying we shouldn't swear because we should be honest and we should be sincere and we should be transparent and we should have a healthy fear of God, which leads to respect and reverence. When you say God, when you say God's name, how much fear do you have in your heart? How much respect and reverence do you have? So four ways for us to live in expectation of Christ's return and judgment day. Let me conclude by saying that in the background of all of our reading, and in fact the whole of James's letter, is the judgment day when Christ will return and everyone who has ever lived will give an account for what they've done, what they've said, what they've thought. And some people need a warning that that day is coming. But others need a promise that if they've been suffering, the people at whose hands they've been suffering won't get away with it. That gives us patience, knowing that the best we can do to help now will never ultimately solve the world's problems. But God can do that, and it will be wonderful when he does. So let me finish with Psalm 96, verse 13. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let me pray. Lord God, we live at a time where there's so much concern, rightly so, for wrongdoing. There's so much concern about uh, people abusing power. There's concern about injustice like racism. And Lord God, we thank you that people care about these things. And Lord, Lord God, we thank you that people are ready to stand up and do something about them. Lord God, we are uh, so powerless in the face of all the evil in the world. It's so great and so significant. But we thank you that you are not powerless. And we thank you that there is coming a day when you will act in justice and righteousness. If uh, we need a warning that that day is coming, then please lay that on our hearts and give us a true and healthy fear of you. But Lord God, if we need that promise that we will one day be vindicated, that wrongdoing will one day be punished, then please comfort us with that thought for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.